Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. How did the tiniest creatures in the ocean manage to survive in the middle of a desert? It might seem strange to talk about a desert in the oceans, but in the middle of the Pacific Gyres, for example, there's not much nutrients there for things to survive on. So how do phytoplankton manage to do it? We talk about ocean currents, how they're connected to weather, and what exactly is going on up and down and through all the layers of the ocean. It's easy to understand weather in the sky. We think often about clouds, storm fronts, maybe even the prevailing winds around certain regions of the world. How these can interact with each other, bringing us weather systems reliably from certain directions east to west or north to south, depending on where you live. And we get used to the ebb and flow of the seasons, the monfloon rains approaching in the tropics, or maybe the cloud system settling over a certain part of a bay or hitting some mountains, the fog rolling in to San Francisco as another example. But they have the same type of phenomena and effects, these circulating patterns, these large global weather systems occurring not just in the air, but in our oceans. And in fact, what happens inside our oceans can also impact what happens in the air. Of course, just here in Australia, we are feeling right now the effects of a sustained third year of a La Nina pattern. The equatorial centre portion of the Pacific Ocean has slightly lower temperatures. What this then leads to, at least in Australia, is increased rainfall. And boy, have we had a lot of that right now as we're speaking and recording. Uh, the state where this podcast is recorded, Victoria, is undergoing severe floods, but also all across the eastern seaboard of Australia in the last year or three have had sustained flooding events up and down the seaboard. And this is what happens when we end up with basically increased precipitation, more rainfall, warmer seas in certain regions near Australia, and basically we get stuck with an awful lot of rain. In this case, the ocean temperatures in the central Pacific are actually influencing the ocean temperatures near Australia and thus also the weather that we have. Now, the ocean is intricately connected to the actual global weather patterns, and this is pretty important to understand, but it is also involving the same type of flows that we see in the atmosphere. There are currents, there are systems, there are prevailing systems of currents, and all of these often collectively known together as gyres. These, for example, could be summarized as the fave major gyres in different regions of the oceans of the world. There are, of course, other lots of current systems, whirlpools, deep ocean currents, eddies, all kinds of things. But the main five major systems that you could think about are the North and South Pacific subtropical gyres, the North and South Atlantic subtropical gyres, and the Indian Ocean subtropical gyre. These, along with, obviously, of course, the Gulf Stream, can be used to navigate. Of course, if you're a ship, you make immense use of this, especially in the age of sail. But also, just in general, it can be used to do all kinds of strange and odd things. For example, one of the reasons why we see huge masses of plastic amalgamating in junk raft islands in the middle of the Pacific is actually often at the fault of guys. The current system sort of trap and amalgamate rubbish from all over the world into one spot, just through that circulating system of currents. But the currents are a bit more obviously intricate than that, and the word gyre is used almost as a common term for any large rotating ocean current. But in the general sense, there's five major ones across the world. So gyres are this part of this dynamic system that help keep ocean currents circulating, taking water from one place to the other. 
But it's wrong to think about the ocean as just purely one level. It's, of course, a stack, just like our atmosphere. And you can have lots of different types of clouds depending on the height of the cloud, the stratus, the cumulus, and all of the different layers of clouds as you might see them. The same thing happens inside our oceans. And in fact, it's a bit more harder to imagine. But thinking about what you see at the top layer and going further and further down, obviously you get more pressure the deeper you go, but you also get less light. Now at the top you get a lot of light but this can also lead to immense problems. You can end up with deserts for want of a better word. Nutrient poor regions of the surface of the ocean especially out in the middle of one of these guys because well there's not much more nutrients coming in and it's getting baked by the sun. Deep below that where it's colder nutrients have a chance of surviving um, but at the top it's a bit harder to do so. Things move between these layers, of course, not just blue whales, which dive to immense depths, but also life. And in this vertical slice of the oceans, there is a lot going on. Currents flowing from one part of the planet to the other, but also currents circulating between the layers. And understanding how these layers are intricately linked together and how they work is really tricky and confusing for scientists, because we know that life exists at these different portions of the layers and we also that life can sometimes be difficult to the different portions of those layers so how do they interact with each other then how do nutrients flow from one area to another so trying to understand the flow of nutrients through all these layers of the ocean is incredibly difficult and requires really tricky analysis and simulation if you can do it. And that's what researchers have published in the particular National Academy of Sciences, including lead author Mukrund Gupta from Caltech and also researchers at MIT and University of Liverpool. And what they're trying to get to the bottom of is how exactly nutrients flow between the layers of the ocean, how they're circulated around by these ocean current guys, and also, more importantly, how are there enough nutrients in these deserts of water for phytoplankton to survive? What are these microbes able to live on and what are they able to use to feed the rest of the ecosystem and food web in the layers below? Now, one thing that oceanographers have just been puzzling on, in particular these subtropical gyres, as we talked about before, these massive ocean currents have lots of healthy populations of phytoplankton. Now, phytoplankton are really important because they are like a base part of the food web. This small microbe is consumed by all kinds of creatures up and up and up, increasingly larger sizes in this intricate web of the ocean. And not just on the surface layer, but deeper down as well. Because we know there's a nutrient relay type effect where the phytoplankton as well can often cycle through and down to other parts or layers of the ocean during their life cycle. And this of course helps feed all parts of the ocean's ecosystem. But the problem is, what are the phytoplankton eating and how they're able to survive in the nutrient-poor regions of the oceans, in particular in these subtropical gyres. Look at the regions of the ocean inside one of these gyres. It's like a stack of bowls, stratified or layered by density. Warmer, lighter layers are nearer to the surface, and then as you go down and down and down through that stack, you get colder, denser water. That's where the deep layers are. Now, the phytoplankton, because they thrive on light, obviously, 
survive in the ocean's top sunlit layers. But that sun, whilst providing them with sunlight and warm temperatures, it also tends to bake out a lot of other things in that top layer. So the phytoplankton need nutrients to grow, but there isn't actually often a hell of a lot there. Now, when phytoplankton die, they actually sink through the ocean layers, sometimes referred to as marine snow. Now, some of this snowfall process actually takes nutrients from the top layer and releases them back down through all of the lower layers in the stack, basically into this circulating current system. And then ultimately they can make their way through that journey, then pumped actually back up from the deepest depths back up to the top. So the deeper the snow stinks, the problem is the more harder it is for those nutrients then to get back, obviously, ultimately to the surface. Because sometimes a lot of that carbon can just get trapped along with the nutrients and other things along with it, falling all the way to the bottom of the ocean. That snow doesn't recirculate in cycle. So this is, of course, a challenge. Because whilst a lot of things at the lower layers and at the bottom thrive on that nutrient supply, how do the phytoplankton's get enough nutrients on their top sunlit layers? When the ocean currents can circulate and bring material back up, if it falls too far down, it just can't do that. And it basically, the carbon and everything else gets sequestered at the bottom. So what mechanism was keeping that top layer flush and filled with nutrients? And that really was the puzzle for researchers. They were trying to find if there was any other ways for the snow, this nutrient value from all these microbes to get back to the top, or was there perhaps a new source of material bringing water rich with nutrients into these subtropical gyres. Now, to study this, the team had to simulate a subtropical gyre and see all the way that the fluid systems would interact. They chose, in this case, the North Pacific gyre, one of the five major ones, and that's most of the North Pacific Ocean. It's an area of around 20 million square kilometers, just absolutely huge. And so for that, you need a really powerful supercomputer general circulation model, which MIT does have, MIT GCM. And then you try to introduce the atmosphere and the ocean patterns, model the dynamics of the ocean as realistically as possible with data from NASA and other sources, including real observations of the ocean, ocean current, satellite measurements, temperature, salinity, even other things taken by drifting buoys and ships. Now, with all this information, you can build a pretty accurate simulation of the ocean, as much as least you're able to do on a computer. And it was able to do some pretty good detail. Okay, the pixel resolution of the model was around 20 kilometers per pixel, which is, seems to you and I, insanely huge. But in the sense of a Pacific Ocean, that's pretty small and quite fine. Now, when they use this, with another modeling system, a simulation of microbe communities and phytoplankton called the Darwin model. They paired these two together and you can basically build a picture of the North Pacific Gaia over a decade, creating animations to visualize the pattern of the currents and how nutrients get in and around all of those regions. And what they saw around the edges were really small eddy currents. These eddies were carrying packets of highly concentrated nutrient-rich water from the equator north to the center of the gyre and then down along the sides of the of the gyre itself. Now, this is pretty important because it means that there's ways for nutrients to get into the gyre in the first place and then deep down and circulate through. 
Now, what they saw, interestingly in the model, is the nutrients first moved deeper away from the sunlight before then getting pulled upwards to where the phytoplankton live. So it's not just that the water is rushing one by along the coast on the edge and then in. It's actually using and navigating and being pulled through in three-dimensional space. And that's what's so tricky to get your head around the way in which the ocean works. It's not flat. It's actually a very complex three-dimensional fluid mechanics problem. And that's what they saw here. And what they found is that these little eddies on the sides bringing in nutrients from the edge and the external parts of these guys could drag and ring into the center all kinds of nutrients that would be needed. After around 50% of the nutrients probably found in these subtropical guys. And that's really significant because it's both a sucking in process with small eddies on the side, but also then a vertical cycling process that brings nutrients back up, out from the fringes and potentially also up on the inside that then keeps those subtropical guys alive and explains how phytoplankton managed to survive in the middle of these deserts in the ocean. Now, to understand this, we had to do all kinds of complex simulation and modeling and analysis, only made possible by detailed studies of the ocean surface and the atmosphere and inside the layers of the ocean. So while satellite imagery is really powerful, we have to learn a lot more about the way the ocean works on all of the layers of it. And to do that, you need to take measurements through all those different layers of the oceans and the ocean currents, because there's a lot going underneath the surface that we can't easily see or track or monitor. So while we might talk about surface ocean temperatures being warmer or cooler, we don't quite have a real complete picture of what is happening beneath that surface and how the currents under there are changing. In fact, our actual real understanding of these things makes a huge difference for our modeling and analysis of not only global climate patterns, things like La Nina and El Nino, which can have huge devastating consequences for a country leading to droughts or flash flooding or fires. But it also helps us understand even more basic things like the weather in a more narrow sense as well, because the oceans and the atmosphere are linked together and the way in which they interplay with each other is, needs to be understood in great detail. And whilst we are pretty good at the top and the surface layers and the atmosphere, we don't quite yet have enough data to really truly get our heads around what's happening beneath the surface. That's what's powerful about this particular paper by Mukund Gupta and others published in the Pursuit of the National Academy of Sciences because it helps shed light on what's happening beneath the surface and how these light-loving microbes, phytoplankton, manage to keep themselves fed in the middle of an ocean desert in the center of these guys by nutrients being carried up and through and into the middle of these guys deep underneath the ocean currents first and the way that this interacts with each other these phytoplankton's dying off sequestering carbon and bringing nutrients through all the layers of the ocean underneath that central part of the guy in marine snow the ocean is a pretty amazing place and we often get snapshots and insights into it but this is another powerful way of understanding in more depth the way in which ocean currents and guys work and these tiny creatures that are the basis of the ocean ecosystems manage to survive. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We found out about the guys and the way these complex ecosystems work with all these currents through the layers of the ocean, keeping things fed at the top and how that drifts down to the bottom. 
Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.